Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. In times like these, you know grace to be true and real. In times like these, you know the sustaining power of the grace of God. Grace is most operative where humans are weak. If you are strong, you leave, well, at least strong in your own strength, you leave very little room for grace to have its effective work within your life. But where humans are unable, grace can. Where humans can't, grace can. And so whenever you feel qualified, you know that grace is not operative. When you feel disqualified, you leave room for grace to qualify you to work in and through what you need to do by the grace of God and not through your own endeavor. You must leave space for grace. You must leave that room so that um, the grace of God can be at work within your life. Amen. And so I um, just want to ask you to keep bearing us up in prayer amidst all that is and that needs to be done. There's so much happening both on local fronts, family fronts, um, uh, global fronts. Um, initiative. It's just like you feel like you've been pulled in all, in all directions. But uh, except for the grace of God, we have to do what we need to do by His grace. I was betwixt two, to use old King James language. <laughs> Paul says, I'm in a straight betwixt two. You know? uh, between two um, focus areas for today's sermon whether to continue with what we have been doing. And I, on the WhatsApp group, on the church WhatsApp group, I posted the two new sermon CDs, MP3 CDs that are available. They're on the desk there. Uh, if you want to work in the week to get those ready for you. Um, Grace to Help is one CD. So it's called Grace to Help. There are six sermons there. And the other is um, Strengthen Yourself by Strengthening Your Leader. And there are nine sermons there, although that, that series is not yet complete. I still have a whole uh, a manual of notes here that we at some stage will get through, but I just feel the leading of the Lord to stop that focus and to go on to something else, which I believe was confirmed by Mark's administration of the table of the Lord today. Right? There's still much else that we need to explore in terms of the previous series, in terms of how you can strengthen yourself by strengthening your leader. In terms of the father-son dyad or wineskin, when a son pursues the purpose of his father, it's not a man that you're supporting. Please remember, you're supporting the purposes of the Lord stewarded by the individual. Everyone say purpose. And last week's sermon was very, very critical. I felt the impulse of the Lord. If you've missed last week, you, you, uh, it be, would be in your best interest to access it by the website or simply by the CD, it'll be part nine on that nine-part series. And so there's still much else to do in this, in this part, but hopefully I demonstrate to you by my example, not just by my teaching, how to do this. As I am supportive to my Father in Christ, so you should copy me, imitate me. Paul says, copy me as I copy Christ, okay? 
Oh, Paul. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, 2 Timothy 3.10. Timothy, you have known my, come on, you know it by now, TCP, you've known my teaching, my conduct, and my purpose. Yeah, Paul is saying to his son Timothy, you don't only know my doctrine, my teaching. You don't only observe my conduct, how I, my manner of life, my behavior. He said, thirdly, you have known my purpose. And so when, when in the father-son wineskin, it moves beyond romanticism to representation. Because we love to be romantic, and we love each other, and that's good. But the, the, the relationship must migrate to one of fulfilling the purposes of the Lord established for the relationship. Yeah? And then the relationship, I believe, rises to fulfill its biblical import. When purpose is accomplished via the relationship. And I said to you, and I wish I could get into your homes and your cars and put the CD in for you personally and say, now please listen again. I've listened again to the first part, Grace to Help, uh, since it was done about two, three days ago. I put it in my car and I began to listen to myself again. And wow, wasn't I enriched just by hearing the word of the Lord again and again. Faith comes by and hearing. It's the second hearing that produces faith. In other words, not twice, but heard as often as is necessary for the kind of faith to be produced in, in you. So, and this series, I can't tell you how much it has enthused me to now be the greatest supporter, the strong supporter of the purposes of God stewarded by my Father in Christ. Right? Now it's shoulder to the wheel. Everyone say shoulder to the plow. Right? Right? The government will be upon his shoulders. In other words, uh, you will steward significant aspects of my purposes in the Lord. So I want to just, I'm going to leave that now. What I will do is do some studio sessions in the next two weeks based upon critical principles, three or four more principles relative to that series that we can just share. But on a Sunday morning, I won't have time for that. I want to start um, this next, this series will be brief. And we always start series by saying that this will be brief. <laughs> we never know where we're going to go. Um, and we're going to entitle it Grace Reigning in Righteousness or Grace Reigns in Righteousness. This is actually a spin-off from Pastor Thamo's Focus on Righteousness that he has been teaching now in the Gate Santon Church for the past 20 weeks or more. I think it's more than 20 sessions on the subject. I therefore advise you with the following. I'm, I cannot do what Pastor Thamo did over 20 weeks. It'll take too long, right? So I want to encourage you to listen to that series. Those CDs will be available here next week. We'll put the 20 on two MP3 CDs so you can listen to it at your leisure and in your, in your cars, in your homes, while I am busy with the series on a Sunday. Simply because Pastor Thamo will provide the general framework of understanding. My attempt is to simply... Uh, focus in on one or two principles and to earth that concept within our understanding. Is that okay? Come on, is that okay? Yes? So I want to encourage you, um, the CDs will be available here next week. Uh, purchase your set, listen to it over and over again, because God wants a righteous company. Yeah? God wants a righteous people. He wants righteousness in the earth, and He wants a righteous standard amongst the sons of God. Amen. Now, um, just today's 
will be an introduction to this theme. It will be an introduction to the theme. And um, so I'm just going to scatter some seed. Next week, we'll start to build it more methodically. And you'll see my concern is, what is my concern? My concern is the connection between grace and righteousness. As you know, grace is one of my favorite topics. It's one of the central focus themes of Scripture. And now righteousness is being raised as a focal area. And I'm seeing some things vastly differently to what I've seen before. We've taught grace expansively and extensively. Um, if you look at my website and assess the number of sermons on various topics, grace takes the prize. There are more sermons there on grace than anything else. Grace seemed to be in the focal area. And in recent times, I've been asking the Lord, why then has not grace been operative? We spoke of the favor of the Lord. Where is it? Huh? We spoke about various things, grace causing you to reign in life, you know. But why is it that so many sons of God are not tapping into the available grace that is available for all of us? Why isn't it? And when um, in Kenya, Pastor Thamo read the scripture, I then dug out a set of notes. This is, I wrote, you know, I think I wrote this, what were you, in 20, this must have been about seven or eight years ago. And, and this topic in my notes was grace given to the upright. The word upright here is righteous. And I pulled out these old notes of mine and I began to review them and to say, wow, God, you were talking these things way back. And an apostle, our father in the Lord, has come to bring it to the fore. And suddenly I saw it in perspective. I saw it in reference to the general framework of what God desires to do in and through us. If there's ever a series now you need to track with me, it will be this one. This, I think, will be probably be one of the most important things we're going to do for the next coming weeks. Everyone say track. Right? What was the requirement for the double portion from Elijah to Elisha? There's only one requirement given to Elisha. What was it? If you see me as I go up. Right? If you see me as I ascend. So the ascent of a spiritual father must be seen by the son, if the son is going to access double portion of what the father has, right? So Paul said to Timothy, you have followed. Everyone say followed. So you've followed my, doc my teaching, my doctrine, my conduct, my, uh, my purpose, my patience, my perseverance, and sufferings that happened to me at Iconia, Antioch, etc. In other words, Timothy followed and he tracked his father in Christ. A double portion comes to Elijah because he sees... Elijah ascent. So you must track the ascent, the upward growth or the upward movement of your spiritual father in Christ. How do you do that? You do that primarily by tracking the teachings. Because in the teachings is where he's going. In the teachings is his ascent. So I want to encourage you now more than ever. I want to, I want to literally beg the church Follow this series closely because I believe it will set you free. The grace that you know to be true will now become operative. You will see it for what it is. Okay? Now, just quickly, I'm going to just review Pastor Thamo's definition of righteousness, which was revealed to him by the Holy Ghost, I believe. Please remember this. The mysteries of God are given to who? Publicly. 
The mysteries of God biblically are given to apostles and prophets. Listen to me, church. Right? They're given to no other fivefold ascension gifts. Not pastors, not evangelists, not teachers. It says, the, the Bible is very clear. The mysteries are given to, and not just any prophets, any apostles and prophets. It says, to his holy apostles and holy prophets. Those two gifts have got the... Um, have got the, the, the responsibility to bust open codes that are locked. What is a mystery? By definition, it's something not known. Not so? If it's mysterious, it's not known. Not so? Once you break the mystery, it's no more eh? a mystery. The technology, the grace given to apostles and prophets has got the capacity to take the Bible which, in which mysteries are locked. And it's like they have lenses or spectacles given to them by God. When they read it, they sing something that others cannot. And so what they do in their teaching, they open the mystery and make it plain for everybody else to see. Uh, I'm trying to make you understand in reference to the apostle over our church, which is Apostle Thamon Naidu. When he teaches, I look for mysteries being open. Why? Because that's the technology attendant with his office. My job as a teacher, I'm not an apostle, I'm not a prophet in the kingdom. I know I'm a teacher called by God, right? And he said some in the church, 1 first, first Corinthians 11, was it 11, 28? He said some in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. What does a teacher do? A teacher then takes the mystery, anchors it biblically, and makes it plain for everybody to understand. That's the act of teaching so people can do the work. Right? Everyone say teaching. Right? And if you know our congregation, we are teaching oriented. Right? So, what, so when I say by revelation, a definition given to him, how did he come by this definition? Through the study of the word, through a review of Hebrew and the Greek. But listen carefully. Even if you look at the Hebrew and the Greek for righteous or for righteousness, you can never come to some conclusions unless there's a spirit of revelation. Everyone say revelation. There's a spirit of revelation given to you where the Holy Ghost opens your eyes to a matter. If it was just pure Greek and Hebrew, then anybody just needs a Greek and Hebrew dictionary and you'll be fine. Not so? But it takes the eyes of those who see further than what is apparent. Okay? So the, what is the definition I will rehearse this for the next few weeks, but I want you to get it into your spirit. Uh, next week will be very practical, so I'm going to bring some items here to demonstrate some truth. Okay? I would have done it today, I just couldn't get some of them in time, because this week was just a totally busy week. Right? Listen to the definition. Righteousness is the eternal, predetermined, approved standard or design of God for how the sons of God should exist and behave in creation. It's a mouthful, right? We'll have it on the board next week. <laughs> Repeat after me. Righteousness is the eternal. Each word is loaded, okay? Repeat after me. Say, righteousness is the eternal, approved, predetermined, standard, or design of God for how all sons of God should live and behave in creation.
There is a standard. Tell someone there is a design. Right? In other words, God has not left it to your imagination what to do. He has a pre-approved, predetermined, eternally established design for every department of your life. Okay? You cannot just wake up one day and say, I don't like it like that. I'll do it like this. And if your do it like this violates God's design, say design. It's like a blueprint. God drew the plans. You have to fit into the design. You can't do your own thing out of the, the, out of the design. If you, if you operate out of that design, you're considered unrighteous because there is a righteous way of doing it. There's a righteous way of living with my wife. There's a design in the Bible for how a man and his wife should live. Yeah? There's a righteous design for how a wife should relate to a husband. There's a righteous template, a blueprint for how a husband should relate. I can't do my own thing. I've got to consult the scriptures and check what is the plumb line of righteousness. You know the plumb line? We'll have one there next week. The old plumb lines were just a, a draw, like a string, with the, what they call the thing at the bottom? Plumb bob. Uh, to check whether a wall is plumb, are you using the right term? Or perpendicular, or straight. Right? And in, listen to me. It's a little string with a little weight attached to, to the bottom to check the perpendicularity of a wall. Now, my father was a builder. Harold Boise Edward Bardwell was a master craftsman. And I recall when we, years ago, were looking for a home to buy. And we would take my dad with us because I knew this guy can see things. It'll miss me. And so we'd go to a home. I'd say, wow, wonderful home. My father won't even go into the yard. He don't even go in. He says, look there, look there. Structurally, he will appraise the building from the road and say, not worth it, not even worth to check. Right? A trained eye can see things that the untrained eye cannot. Apostles and prophets can see the design of God in your life, and they can see whether or not it's out of sync with the order of God for that domain of your life. There's a divine order for finances. There's a divine order for how I relate to my brother. If Jaden offends me, let's say riles me up, do you know there's a design, there's a righteous design for how I must administrate this, right? If I act in bitterness, in unforgiveness, and I, 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 I malign him, um, I spread bad rumors about him to everybody I know, I'm then declared unrighteous in that domain of relationships, in that department, in that sector of my life, because it says if you're if your brother has ought against you, you go to your brother and you tell the matter between him and thee. And if he forgives you or there's reconciliation, the scripture says you have won your brother. But if not, then take a witness with you. Everyone say there's a way of doing things. And it's not left to your own way. I love that text. Ecclesiastes 7, 29. Beautiful text. I never saw it, by the way. I thought I covered all the righteousness scriptures. And Mark read and said, wow, this captures the definition so well. Put it back up, Ecclesiastes 7. I look at the King James, because this uses upright. The word upright is righteous. 
um, lo, this I have found, that God has made man upright or righteous, but they have sought many what? Many inventions. What does the New King James say? Does it say upright as well? Yeah. The word upright here is righteous. God made men or man upright to live rightly or uprightly before him. But what does man do? Many schemes or inventions. In other words, man chose to do it his own way. There's God's way and there's man's way. Uh, this series of Pastor Thomas, I tracked weekly as he taught it on the Sunday. As soon as it was uploaded, by the Tuesday, I had it in my spirit. What am I doing? Tracking the teaching of my father. Watching the ascent. Right? So, Pastor Thomas would recurrently say over the series that it is not left to your imagination. Everyone say after me, it's not left to my imagination. It's not left to my imagination or my own inventions, as the King James said, or devices or schemes, as this version say. It's not left to me to do my own thing. I simply have to come to the standard that the Word presents. You know what this will demand, brethren? It demands die to yourself. A few weeks ago, uh, months ago, I represented to you the doctrine on hospitality. Many of us are not, I still fail to, to do it. If you fail to do it, what you're telling me is, there's my way, there's God's way, but I carry on with my thing, and I don't subscribe to God's way of doing it. Now, I'm going to demonstrate to you in a moment that if you don't subscribe to God's way of doing things, you will be declared unrighteous in that domain, but the critical and frightening thought is this. You render grace inefficient. You render grace inactive. You render grace inoperative. You render grace neutral to work in that domain of your life. And I will show you the connection in a moment. Because grace needs righteousness to flow. And I think, honestly, the missing ingredient in our house. Yes, we are righteous by many accounts. I'll explain all the, the, the theories or, or the principles later. But I think, everyone say comply. It's like bring your life and sink it into God's expectation. The more you do that, the more power, leverage, if you would, you are giving to the functioning and the operation of the grace of God within your life. And you will be amazed at how the scriptures connect these two concepts. A lack of righteousness frustrates the grace of God. Okay? And so, everyone repeat after me. What is righteousness? Everyone say it's the eternal, predetermined, approved standard, or design of God for how the sons of God should exist and behave in creation. Do you know there's a righteous standard for how you should behave at work? Do you know there's a righteous standard and design for how the attitude you should have to your boss who is at work? Hmm? Even if he is the boss from hell. Right? 
Do you know Colossians and Ephesians have much to say about that? And so you have got to have the design or template for that department of your life. Please, and we're going to focus on various departments. Let me just say this. If you're lazy, the Bible renders you unrighteous. Yeah. Laziness must leave the building. <laughs> if you're industrious, the Bible will equate it to an expression of righteousness. Righteousness is not just doing the right thing. Because a lot of people are doing the right thing out there. But even their good works, the scripture says, are like unrighteous, filthy rags in God's sight. Right? I'll explain those things. All I'm warning the church for the next few weeks is, God loves us so much, He's putting various departments right. Yeah? Because why? God wants grace to reign in righteousness. How do we treat foreigners? Righteousness is not about sin. Uh, yes, it includes don't fornicate, don't be lustful, don't be an adulterer. But do you know it's the small foxes that are spoiling the vine? Right? How often have I begged the church, get to know one another? Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, this is going to be good. <laughs> this is going to be challenging. I have to check myself all the time. Am I functioning according to the eternal approved standard or design of God for this aspect of my behavior? If not, then I need to adjust. Because what's going to flow is the righteousness of the righteousness of God. But I want to give you the bedrock scripture from which much will be uncovered. The text is Romans 5 from verse 15. Um, this is foundational, so but I'll put aside the notes lest I, I get too focused on that. I just want to speak by the Spirit to you because I really feel that, listen carefully, we're going to frame a framework, build a framework, a template in which grace will sit well. Grace needs a place to sit well. Whenever grace looks for a place to sit well, grace looks for righteousness. If grace sees righteousness, grace comes to, wow, I can park there, I can hang out there. But the moment there's an unrighteous expression, you neutralize the power of grace to flow in that domain of your life. Amen? So, Romans 5 verse 15. Um, let's look at the NASB. The free gift is not like the transgression. Throughout this text, Paul is going to compare the first Adam, Adam, with the last Adam, Jesus. Also framed differently, the first Adam, Adam, the man, is called the first man. The last Adam, called Jesus, is called the second man. There's no such a thing in Scripture as the second Adam. There's no second Adam. It's either Adam or the last Adam. Jesus would be the last Adam. If, if, if the text says second Adam, it's like there could be a third, fourth, etc. But the, the distinctions are first Adam versus last Adam, first man versus second man. Okay? So we're not after the first man. We're after the second man, which is Jesus, not after the... The first Adam, we are after the last Adam. Both men, 
Listen carefully before we read this. Both men did something that had a profound effect on the human race. Both men did something that had a profound effect on the human race. Two differing results. But the effects and the results of the last Adam, the second man, Jesus Christ, would far exceed any kind of corporate effect the actions of the first man would have. Now, with that in your mind, read this. The free gift, that's righteousness, is not like the transgression. Adam transgressed. For if by the transgression of one, which is Adam, the first man, first Adam, the many died. So when Adam died through his, when he sinned and his subsequent death because of sin, he did not die personally or singularly, but he brought death upon the entirety of humanity. That's how you read this. If by the transgression of one, the many died, much more did the grace of God by the, and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. Now, the reference to the gift by the grace, everyone say gift by the grace, is a reference to righteousness. And you'll see it later on in the text. The gift, which is what? Right, come on, say righteousness. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For, on the one hand, judgment arose from the transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other, Jesus, the righteous gift, on the other hand, the free gift, which is righteousness, arose from Many transgressions resulting in justification. Okay, it might sound confusing. I'll unpack it in a moment. Listen, give. Carry on. For if by the transgression of one man, the first Adam, what happened because the first Adam sinned? It says, death reigned through one. Much more. Now, I love certain words in the Bible. When the Bible says much more, what does it mean? Come on, there's no, there's no Greek and Hebrew here. When the Bible says much more, what does much more mean? Muchas gracias. It's like, much more. It's like, that's a reality. Adamson, transgression fell on everyone. Death, judgment. But there's another guy here, Jesus Christ, the, other, the second man. He's going to do something also with a corporate effect. But the effect of that guy is going to be much more. Even say much more. Much more powerful, much more powerful. Those who received what? An abundance of grace and what? What is the gift described as? The gift of righteousness will do what? Will reign in heaven? Eh, will reign in eternity? No. Will reign now? Will reign in life through the one? Jesus Christ. This is the most powerful scripture, Romans 5.17, that we're going to probably reference throughout the series. Time will not permit to really unpack it here, but let me just say one or two things. The result of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. God told Adam, for in the day you shall eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of, of, of good and evil, you will surely 
die. What did the, what did the serpent say to Eve? Hath not the Lord God said? Right? Um, the Lord God said that in the day you shall eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and even of evil. The serpent said to Eve, you shall not die. But God said you will die. Right? If you violate my word, you will die. And so death there, which is not physical death, primarily, although physical death will be a, a symptom of true death, the death referred to was a separation eternally away from God. A separation from God forever. Right? That's true death. Right? It's a separation from God forever. The soul that sinneth it shall be separated from God forever. The soul that sinneth it shall die, shall be separated from God for forever. Symptomatic of that state is physical death. The fact that one day your body will die is only a consequence of the prior state of eternal separation from God because of violation of His, of his word. So, watch Death reigned through one, Adam. Much more those who received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Carry on. So then, here's the, the punchline in the next few statements. It's very important for you to catch this. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation for all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to, to all men. For as through one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, many will be made, many will be made righteous. Now, isn't that not true? His obedience in going to the cross of Calvary, dying and paid for yours and my sin, if we accept Him as Lord and Savior and receive Him into our hearts, we receive the forgiveness of sin and we get justified. Everyone say justified. Now justified, a simple meaning, there's a the great theological definition, but I won't go there now. The simple meaning of justification is just as if I've never sinned. Justification, just as if I have never sinned. So I'm a sinner, but when I receive the Lord Jesus, I was unrighteous, and He declares to me by virtue of my reception of Him, He declares, you are righteous. Now that righteousness at the point of initial salvation is what we call imputed righteousness. There's nothing you could do to get it, nothing you could do to earn it, Whatever good works you would have done in an attempt to get it right would not have recruited it. God says, by virtue, you are a sinner. And what does the Bible say? When we were yet still sinners, ungodly, Christ died for us. So he died for us while yet sinners. Right? Scarcely, it says, will one man die for a good man? Much more, less, will one die for a? Righteous man. So that verse distinguishes between good men and righteous men. Much more about that later. But God gave himself up for us. Who's grateful for salvation? Come on, who's grateful for the fact that you are saved today? Right? Who's grateful for the fact that you, you have a relationship with God? The, the initial part of that transformation in you 
came by an act of imputation. Everyone say impute. It's an accounting term. Um, Postamo explains it as though something was EFT'd into your account, your spiritual account. It was given to you. It's called the gift of righteousness according to this text. Okay? The gift of righteousness was given to you through the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, hold that thought. Oh, by the way, I'll demonstrate to you next week. Imputed righteousness was a once-off transaction at the point of your initial salvation. But now being in the kingdom and you are saved, according to the book of 1 John, you are now to practice righteousness. Everyone say practice righteousness. Right? Become a righteous practitioner. In other words, do it and grow in it. Because that is the process, please listen to me very carefully, of sanctification. There are two theological concepts you must know. The one is justification. And what does justification mean? Just as if I've never sinned. I'm guilty. When I repented, he declares me innocent and righteous before him. I'm the son of God, legally, legitimately. I'm an heir of God. I'm his son. That happened in a moment. But now being in the kingdom... I'm to grow in righteousness, and that's a process. Everyone say process. So the one was an event. The other is a process and a growing sanctification. The word sanctify means, in, a basic, in terms of its basic meaning, means to wash and to make clean. Right? So I'm being washed, and how am I washed? By the Word of God. And with every washing, I become, watch, Compliant to the design of God, the standard that God has had for every department of my life. Do you know you can be saved through imputed righteousness, come into the kingdom, and be the husband from hell to your wife? So what must you do then? You are saved. You are born again. But what now? What you must seek to do is look into the Word and see what the Word says about that department of my life and then comply then what are you doing now you're becoming a righteous practitioner yeah so you used to steal time at work without your boss's knowledge <laughs> i say you used to <laughs> or you stole company resources without permission i said you used to <laughs> but now you read verses in colossians and the boss from hell that you have <laughs> You don't, you shirk when you can because he's not deserving, that guy, of my total devotion in the workplace. And then you read Colossians and, and Ephesians and you read, you, you, you read verses like, you servants, do your work, not as unto men, your earthly bosses, it speaks about the workplace there, but as unto the Lord because God who sees in secret will reward you openly. Then you suddenly adjust. What are you doing? You, 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 you're sinking your life into the righteous design of God for every department of your life. You used to watch porn. But now you're in the kingdom and you say, Wow, God, I cannot let my eyes behold that which is worthless in the sight of God. That's what David said. Let not my eyes behold that which is ungodly in your sight. 
How can I derive entertainment value from that which is abhorrent to God? If God abhors it, how can it entertain me? So what, what are you doing suddenly? You, you, you saved, you're born again. But that department of your life, and, and let me just say this, the Holy Ghost, everyone say the Holy Ghost. What does Je- what one thing Jesus said about the Holy Ghost? Jesus said, when He comes, He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment which is to come. You'll feel unsettling. I should not be watching this. Or you just told lies. And you feel uneasy. What's that? Conviction of the Holy Ghost working through your conscience. And then you repent. You say, God, forgive me. And you know what the Bible says in 1 John? I think it's 1 John 1.8. Or coming back to this. I'm just sidetracked for a moment. A Holy Ghost moment. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and what? And righteous to do what? To forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of what? Everyone say us. Who's John talking to? Not unbelievers. He's talking to us. He says, yes, we will fail from time to time. Yeah? Not deliberately. I'll talk more in the weeks to come about the sin that leads to death versus the sin that does not lead to death. The Bible is very clear about this. But John here says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just or righteous to forgive us. And what, you see, listen carefully. Sins are forgiven. Unrighteousness is cleansed. Says it clearly here. Sins are forgiven. But your unrighteousness needs to be washed or cleansed. This series is going to be very prophetic. I am declaring to you, get ready for the Lord to wash away every expression of unrighteousness in you. Receive it by the Spirit. Even now, while I'm speaking, I believe the Holy Ghost is popping up things in your mind. That's wrong in my life. That area, that department. That atti- you know, it could be an act or an attitude. could be a behavior or disposition. could be a thought or deed. And I'm saying, God, just make me right. I know I'm right. If I die and I'm going to heaven, right? I know I'm your son. But I need to, I've been justified. I must now cooperate with the process of sanctification. Cleanse every unrighteous expression in me so that your grace can work. Now, go back to first, to Romans chapter 5, verse 19 says, Through one man's sin, disobed- to one's man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Even through the obedience of one, many will be made righteous. Now, everyone say made righteous. I'll talk more about this word next week. It implies a process. There's the initial installment in which it was imputed to you when you got saved. Yeah, you were declared righteous before God by virtue of repentance. That's imputed. But now saved, you must cooperate with the process of sanctification and progressively come into a state of perfected righteousness. Everyone say perfected righteousness. Right? Now, and then verse 20 and 21 is critical. This is where I want to go to. All of that is to build up to these two verses. Listen to what Paul now says. The law came in so that transgression would increase. 
But where sin increased, what abounds? Grace abounds all the more. Right? Grace abounds all. You see, sin has power and sin has effect. But the effect of grace is far greater than the power of sin. The effect of the grace of God in Jesus is far greater than the power of sin in Adam. It's far greater. Adam's sin abounded and it was amplified in the law, which reveals sin. It's another concept altogether. But he's saying, but as powerful as the expression of sin was, when grace comes in, its abounding is far greater than the abounding work of sin. Repeat after me, grace, greater than sin. Say it again, grace, greater than the effects of sin. I declare you're going to be righteous in ways you've never known to be true before, church. The word of the Lord will cleanse us from all expressions of unrighteousness. Who wants to be compliant? My both at God, try me, test me, show me this week. I'm going to pray a prayer in the moment for the Lord to show us all areas where we need to comply. Okay? Because sometimes it takes another close to us to point out the flaw in us. Yeah? Become my Abigail to David. Abigail to David? Don't be like, like Sapphira to Ananias. And the wife is supporting the husband in the error. Somebody should have spoken up. And not let the judgment come on the whole house. Somebody should have had the sense, that, hey honey, something's wrong here. One of us needs to get this right. Don't support the error of your spouse because both of you reap the judgment. Somebody has got the sense to say, we are wrong here. Listen carefully. Now I want to encourage you to say to your spouse in a nice way, we are unrighteous in how we're administrating this matter. We're not compliant with God's expectation. Look at the next verse. This is the most powerful verse that I want to focus on. Watch. Sin reigns in death. Grace would reign through what? Grace would reign through Righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So watch. When you sin, what's the result? What's the result of sin? There's an analogy made between sin and righteousness. Right? So the, the result of sin is what? Talk to me, church. What's the result of sin? Death. What is the result? It says of grace. Righteousness. Right? Sin reigned in death, so grace would reign in or through righteousness. Let me explain it like this. The result of sin is death. The result of grace, the first result of the expression of the grace of God in your life would be imputed righteousness. Right? Please listen to me very carefully. I'll go a bit slowly for understanding. The initial result of the work of grace in your life was that he made you righteous. For by grace are you saved through faith, not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God of righteousness, not of works, lest any man should, lest any man should boast. In session two in the grace series, there's a PDF document on my website. I go to great lengths through various scriptures to explain salvation by grace. The initial act was an act of grace, which I defined as mercy. Listen carefully. 
the first outworking of grace in your life was an act of mercy. Mercy is an indicative of grace. When you did not deserve it, he justified you. When you're in a court of law and you're found guilty, and the magistrate says to you, do you have any last words? And you are guilty beyond dispute. What should your last words be if you are wise? Don't carry on arguing the case. Your appeal should be, I accept the judgment. I appeal to the court to have what? Mercy. Mercy says, we're not, you are guilty. Guilty as charged, but where the Bible says God's mercy triumphs over his judgment. Judgment should have said to you, life imprisonment. But mercy says, the judge says, okay, I'll be merciful to you five years. Right? But God's mercy says, death should have resulted from your sin. Banishment to hell. Eternal separation from me. But my mercy says to you, you are my son. Come into my kingdom. Enjoy eternal life. Right? God moved and removed, the Bible says, the ordinances and judgments written against us. He removed the penalty of sin once and for all. And the first act of mercy was to make you righteous. As death is the result of sin, so righteousness would be the result of grace. Right? But here is the thing. Grace produced righteousness initially. And grace needs then the growth or the increase of righteousness in you to fully express itself. Grace produced righteousness and needs growth in righteousness for it to grow in the man. I'll say it again. Grace produced righteousness. So once right, imputed righteousness is present, the person must cooperate with the sanctification processes of God, becoming clean from all unrighteousness. Where, where, where righteousness is established, what grace produced of it in the initial phase, grace is now sustained in it for its most effective and fullest working. Grace needs righteousness as an environment in and through which it must or it seeks to thrive. In in which it seeks to thrive. There's a whole bunch of scriptures here. But let me just give you one because of time. Psalm 84 verse 11 says the following. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. He gives two things. What does he give? Two things. He gives what? He gives grace and glory. I have a teaching on my website where I teach that glory, the exact representation of God, is the object of grace. That's another story. But God gives both. God gives grace and glory. And then he says, no good thing does he withhold to who? To those who do what? So if you have an upright walk, you're functioning according to the original design the eternal approved uh, a plan of God, design and standard for your life in all departments, you are walking upright before the Lord. Not so? What does God give to you? Grace and glory. I want to say it again. Grace generated righteousness in the first place. And the growth of grace requires 
a sustained and increased righteousness in you for that grace to find its most fullest expression in you. So when, you, when your righteousness is compromised, grace becomes frustrated. This is a powerful scripture. I'd like us to all memorize this. Say this. We'll say, say, let's all say it out loud. One, two, three. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. He gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from the man that walks uprightly. So if the man wants grace, he must maintain uprightness before God. Next week, you might say, Randolph, tall order. Right? And by the way, you're not the righteousness of God in Christ. Many people quote that. I see on Facebook. I've heard that statement theologically over the years. That's a, that's a misquote from 2 Corinthians 5.21. The word become there is ginomai, which means to come into progressively a state of existence. Listen to me carefully. He made you righteousness by a gift. Everyone say it's a gift. Do you work for a gift? Can you earn a gift? It was given to you initially, but having got that state, there's much that is required of you now to cooperate with God to come into the fullness of the thing. So tell, repeat this after me. We are becoming. We are being made into the righteousness of God. It's a progressive thing. You know why this teaching is so essential if you are a youtuber like i am if you follow certain major streams of ministry theologically like i do there's a there's a teaching now saying that we are the righteousness of god in christ where sin abounds grace that much more abound therefore we can do what we want to we can violate god's order in this that and we even have some ordained ministers, well-known people, sanctioning the thing. These are the days of Noah. Everybody's doing what's right in his own eyes. But, what does it say? But, Noah, the Lord saw the wickedness of man. Ask, talk to me, brethren. Is the earth wicked as we speak? It's like unrighteousness is reaching tipping point. But God needs a righteous standard in the people. You know, God's going to judge unrighteousness by a standard of righteousness, not by His Word. The Word must become flesh, right? It's by you, the standard of righteousness, that God judges unrighteousness. It's like God saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth. Now, this, is, this verse is frightening here. Every intent. What does the word every mean? It's not like some intent, or maybe 90% of the time now. It's like every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil only in the day. Does it say only in the day? Does it say only at night? Does it say his heart was evil only some of the time? It's like even when men sleeping, they're planning evil. It's like evil consistently. Verse 7, verse 6 says, the Lord was sorry he had made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals and creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made man. 
but. Say, but. I told you the word but cancels the force of any prior statement made. I'm sorry to see the wickedness of man. Here's my hand. I'm going to wipe out the planet. I'm going to kill everybody. He's about to do this. I'm going to wipe man out. He says, oh, but there's one guy there. Everyone say, but Noah. You must become a Noah. The Bible says, what did he find? Listen to me. What did this guy find? So Noah finds grace. And the next verse says, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a, in the Bible, the words upright, just, and righteous are all synonyms. Upright, just, and righteous. NASB says, now please remember, brethren, verse 8 says, what does he find? Find grace, but what is the container that grace lands on? Righteousness. Where Romans 5, 17 says, grace reigns in what? Grace reigns? In righteousness. Who needs more grace? Come on, church. I beg you. Who needs Without grace, we're going nowhere very fast. And I'm saying to God, God, help me to be righteous in my thoughts, in my imaginations, in the intentions of my heart. I want to examine every relationship from my wife to my brothers, my colleagues in ministry. To a spiritual father, spiritual son, to my relationships in the workplace, if I'm a superior to those under me, my subordinates, am I righteous in how I deal with those below me? Am I righteous in my behavior to a hobo, to a little child? Am I righteous or unrighteous? God's saying, the world is going one way, Randolph. I need you to stand against the tide like one man. Think about it, brethren. One man versus Every other man on the whole planet. This guy. Everyone say the power of one. By one man's obedience, many were made righteous. You don't know what God can do through your one standard of righteousness. In your world, in your family. I've now taken responsibility before the Lord. Although, please hear my heart. There's no biblical basis for what I'm about to say. There's biblical untruth in what I'm about to say, but I've taken it nevertheless as a standard for my own life. I said, God, let my righteous standard bring immunity to my whole family. No matter what the boys would do in their lives or my girl would do in her life, whenever you look at the Barnwell clan, look at me first. I said, God, now I want my righteousness to be so impeccable before you that grace would reign in and through and touch everything related to me. Touch everything related to me. Yeah. Because Noah was one man. But his whole family got saved. To save eight, God just needs one. <laughs> you and your household will be saved. This doesn't absolve them from personal decisions and, and responsibility, obviously. They have their part to play. But I'm saying, I'm just into this thing about the force. Everyone say the force. The force and the power of the thing. Say much more. Adam did one thing, he sinned, death upon. But this guy, Jesus, one act of obedience, much more did grace reign. I want that much more reigning grace. One, everyone repeat after me. Grace produces righteousness. But grace thrives in what it produces. So when grace first came to you, it made you righteous. An act, an imputation 
right standing before God, acceptable by Him, you are His son. But having been now in the kingdom, mature and perfect that through an ongoing work of sanctification. Right? That's why the Bible calls the Word of God. I better end with this verse, 2, Corinthians, 2 Timothy 3.16, quickly. Just to give you one for the road. Everyone say one for the road. <laughs> Come on. All Scripture, say the Bible. All Scripture is inspired by God for what? What does the Scriptures do? Look at this verse. The Scriptures do four things. What do the Scriptures do? It says, profitable for what? Teaching and for? Reproof and for? And for what? Training in what? What can the Word of God train you in? What do you need training more than the gym? What do you need training in? More than any other thing in life. What gym do you need to go to daily? You need to go to the daily gymnasium of God's word that will instruct you how to be righteous. It's profitable. Don't neglect the Bible. Don't neglect your Bible reading. I can't remember. I think it was last Sunday or the previous Sunday. I can't remember when now. Straight after church, I went to the gym. Before I had lunch. Because I'm on a program. Let me just say this to you. Even be righteous in how you handle your body. You'll touch many things. Be righteous in how you eat. Don't have too much sugar. Killing yourself slowly. Don't have two pieces of cake. Have one. Righteousness will affect, it brings discipline and the, I'm saying the standard of God must come to every department of your life. Because there, the grace of God is going to reign. Where does grace reign? Through righteousness. Repeat after me, grace reigns through righteousness. Lift up your hands, sit down. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you, church. May the Lord give you peace. May goodness, may mercy follow you all the days of your life. May the word of the Lord instruct you in the righteousness of God. And I declare over to you, your, 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 your lives, your personal lives, your family, your workplaces, your businesses, your places of leisure and play. I declare that grace, new grace, is now going to reign. There'll come rulership through the grace of God operative in your life. Now I declare, please, with your hands raised, listen very carefully. Plug into the Lord. I declare over to you now, church, that all the teachings on grace that you've heard prior will now suddenly become activated. Because grace now finds a context. You will find grace, because like Noah, you are righteous in your generation. Don't follow what everybody else is. Let the world do its own thing. But you be like Noah and stand against the tide. Stand against the tide of your family, friends, peers that violate God's principles. But you stand and say, I will be righteous, compliant before God in my life. And I pray great grace and peace will abound to you in every sector of your life. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.